This episode of Punk Rock HR is sponsored by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Hey, everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome back to a special episode of Punk Rock HR. Today is show 200, and I'm pleased to have my friend Don McPherson join me at the mic to talk about something that's really important to me. Back in October of 2021, my beloved cat, Emma, came down with something called pancreatitis. It's very painful, it's very aggressive, and her little body couldn't fight it off. And on October 20th, 2021, Emma passed away. I had been doing pretty good during COVID. You know, like everybody, I've had my ups and downs, but I felt okay until Emma died. And suddenly the world was flat and depressing. And I didn't know how to process this, especially compared to all the trauma that's out there in the world. So I sat with it privately for what felt like a very long time until finally I just had to do something. And so I called my husband's employee assistance program. The EAP is a program where you can get free advice on mental health issues, on grief, on loss, on caregiving, and over 70% of organizations in America offer some sort of EAP program. But in normal times, pre-COVID, according to Unum, less than 10% of our workforce took advantage of an employee assistance program. Now, there are no concrete numbers post-COVID, but based on utilization rates and accessibility, even if half of the people who had access to EAP took advantage of it, it's still not enough. So that's what Don and I talk about today on the podcast, the employee assistance program, what it feels like to use it, what works and what can be improved. And my fundamental belief is that we fix work by fixing ourselves first, but beyond that, I think we fix the world by fixing ourselves first. And that's what I wanted to share with all of you today. Hey, Don, welcome to a very special podcast. Thank you for having me back, Lori. Congratulations on your 200th episode. Boy, it goes fast, doesn't it? Like, didn't it just seem like yesterday we were talking about maybe we should start podcasts? Yeah, and four, <laughs> year, and four years go by just like that. Here we are. I mean, it's really weird. Well, to get everybody started, why don't you tell us who you are and what you're all about? Well, like you said, I'm Don McPherson, and I started a company called 12 Geniuses four years ago after leaving my corporate job. I worked at Aon for a couple of years after they acquired a company that I started back in 1999 with two business partners called Modern Survey. So I've been working in this HR space, helping people and companies improve the employee experience. And that's my interest. That's my passion is to improve people's lives by improving work. So we have alignment there in what we're doing. And outside of work, which there's a lot of that now, I'm a father of two, I love to travel, and I spend a lot of time mentoring young people. 
Well, I certainly have known you for longer than these four years. You and I met on the banks of the Mississippi River in what year was that? 2000 and what? It must have been 2011 because I had just moved into a condo across the river. And that was the backdrop of our discussion. Yeah, we met because you were running Modern Survey. That was your organization. And you asked me randomly to come and do a video since I was going to be in Minneapolis to talk about, I don't know, employee engagement or something. I don't even remember. But I remember going to lunch with you afterwards thinking, I got to get to know this guy. Like he's onto something. And we've been friends since then. You make an appearance in my book. And I just love everything you're all about. You've always been a good friend, a good mentor. And you're here today to lead me through a discussion on, I don't know what life is like in COVID. I thought we would do that for the 200 podcast. What do you think about that? We'll look back to March 11th or March 13th of 2020 as kind of the beginning of this journey or downward spiral or new normal, however you want to call it. And it's two years of uncertainty and starts and stops. It's been very challenging for everybody, opportunistic for some people, but you know, not knowing what What's next is troubling for most people. And I'm just curious, how has it been for you? How are you doing? Well, when COVID first started, I was kind of relieved, I have to say. You know, a lot of events canceled and I had financial obligations and all of that, but I was relieved that I was safe that I was partnered with someone who cared about me, that we had health insurance. Like I felt like I was in a really good place and safe and I had access to Netflix and things were okay for a good long period of time. And you know, the money that wasn't that big of a deal for me because I'd been saving thanks to good friends and mentors in my life who taught me how to run a business. And so I was in a good position. I had an employee working for me and I continued to pay her and it was all right. And I would say maybe the summer of 20, 2021 is when things started to get a little old for me. So over a year into it, for me, it just became like Groundhog Day over and over again. And all the political strife was getting to me. And I don't know, I would say summer of 2021 is when things really took a turn for me. But I wonder, how did you do in the early days? How did you feel? You, you have a family, so it's a completely different experience. Challenged at first when school shut down and we were in a pretty small condo, 1,200 square feet, four people, and then the amount shut down. So it was challenging for the first six weeks and then school started back up again. So that was a bit of a relief. But as you know, it was difficult. People were saying it'll be two weeks, right? And then <laughs> right. this is going to pass. And then it's six <laughs> weeks and then it's three months. And then the summer of 2020 is when George Floyd was killed three miles from where we live. And that was challenging for many, many reasons and sad. And, you know, there was great despair in our community. And we seemed to start to get through that. And then, you know, COVID just didn't end. And so I would say I feel really fortunate to have my family and to be able to make a living still. So other than the starts and stops, I would say we've been able to weather this pretty well. But I am fatigued. I am ready to move on and start to resume a little bit of the life that we had prior to this. Well, over the summer, I started feeling like it was Groundhog Day in my life. And it was, you know, every day I wake up, I do the same seven things and see the same three people and work out, but wear a mask. And it was just starting to get to me. And my cat, Emma, got sick. 
in like September. And I don't think of my animals as children. Like, you know me, I love them, but they're definitely animals. You know, they bite, they poop, they do all the things, right? But she was something else, you know. I got Emma right as I was leaving Pfizer. So back in 2007, and she was so cute. She was tossed out of a car as a kitten. And you think like humanity is terrible, but for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Humanity stopped and people got out of their cars and rescued her. So it's like this big thing that happened to this poor little kitten. She was taken to my vet and they called me and said, would you foster her? And I thought, no, I'll just keep her. You know, she's so cute. <laughs> she was just a sweet little selfless kitten. I mean, she had health challenges, but they were mostly managed. But then she started losing weight. And when a chubby animal loses weight, something's wrong, right? So we took her to the vet and she had something called pancreatitis, which is very painful. And I know this because my mom has had it three times and survived. And it took a lot to get my mom to survive through these pancreatic attacks. And Emma wasn't so lucky. She was in a lot of pain, lost a lot of weight. And even though my mom got a second, a third, a fourth chance, Emma didn't. And we had to euthanize her. And the selfish thing for me to do would have been to keep my favorite cat alive because I love her and maybe we could try something else, but I couldn't do that to her. And so it was early October, mid-October when all of this was happening. And I just thought, all right, COVID, you've taken away my career. My book tour never happened. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing the same four people every single day. And now you're going to take my favorite cat. And I just, I wouldn't say I lost it, but I was pretty upset. Like for the first time in two years or a year and a half at that point felt grief and it just made me shut down for a couple of months. I don't want to talk to anybody, didn't want to go anywhere. I don't know. I just did not felt grief like that. Would you call it depression or how would you categorize that? Well, I like to call it a funk because I have a vision of depression. I mean, in my own life and with other people where you can't function, you can't get out of bed. And I functioned. I got out of bed, but I definitely had a POV of the world that was more cynical than normal. And I just didn't want to suffer through any unnecessary conversations or make small talk or listen to people's BS. And I even didn't want to talk about my own BS because here I am sad about a cat, sad about the world. And there's true suffering in the world. I mean, none of it made sense. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to keep my footprint real small and leave people alone and ask to be left alone. And if that's depression, that's depression. But I think it was more of a funk. But you know, you can't live like that for a long time, Don. Friendships suffer, relationships suffer. We didn't talk for an extended period of time. And I don't know. Had you ever felt like this before? Yes, actually. Worse, even when I was working at Pfizer. Was that a depression? Or yes. was that a funk? That was no, depression. That was, that was depression. That was definitely depression. Although I could function, I was not functioning well and not doing myself any favors. You are much younger than though. So would it have been a funk in present day? <laughs> if that makes sense. Does that, it does. Does that make it does. sense? You have more have, coping abilities, right? I do. Yeah. I'm smarter. I've done more work on myself. Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. But I do think age, wisdom, experience, season of life, I knew at some point I just needed to call somebody and mental health health resources are taxed right now. I mean, it's interesting because traditional therapists are turning away business. You know, they're saying no. But yet I reached out to the EAP and they were Johnny on the spot and actually talked about utilization rates not being incredibly high right now, not as high as we think. During COVID, utilization rates are around 8 to 10%. I mean, they're not strong right now. And I feel like the EAP for me is something I've recommended for years and was just such a quick, smart way to get some help and 
So I called them, but I'm so shocked that more people aren't calling them. I've worked for two big companies in my life, American Express and Aon. And the Aon one was more of a transition. They acquired my company. And so I knew that I wasn't there for a long time, though I did spend 25 months there. It felt long to be as your friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first year was not long. The second year was longer. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> if that makes sense. But so at American Express, I remember hearing about an EAP, their EAP. I really truly don't understand what it is even today. And I know that I've worked in human resources, so tell me what that is. Yeah, well, most people know what therapy is, right? You go and you sit in someone's office or you do a session or two via Zoom and you talk about your childhood and you go through this process, whether it's uh, you meditate or you look someone in the eye and you talk. There are a lot of different ways to do traditional therapy, but therapy is long and it's expensive and it's often trying to get to the heart of problems by looking backwards off into your childhood. An employee assistance program is about getting someone tactical support today. It's surface level, but it's meant to be more targeted. So an employee assistance program is something a company may offer if you are feeling stress from your job or stress from a broken relationship. And the EAP can give you light therapy or they can work to find you a therapist but you often get three free sessions and you can talk to someone about what you're thinking how you're feeling your sensations and sometimes those three sessions are enough and sometimes they're not but they're free you don't have to utilize your health insurance and you never get like a record with Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield or whoever your insurance provider is that you've been clinically depressed or you're anxious or you have other issues it's just light counseling in the moment. Is there a, a way that we can rebrand this? Because oh, EAP, heck yes. it, EAP does not sound like what you described. So that's the first thing is. Well, is, wait, wait, wait. Tell me more. What does it sound like when you hear the words EAP? What do you think that is? It sounds too broad. That employee assistance program. I had no idea that it was really focused on mental health or personal challenges in the way that you described it. And so that's the first thing. Yeah, yeah, it is broad. Absolutely but it also it's intentionally broad because they just want people to call if you have a caregiving challenge and maybe they can refer you to some caregiving resources or maybe you really do need therapy to deal with that they keep it broad as almost like a problem-solving SWAT team to then direct you to where you need to go so yeah I can understand why you don't know what it is because you're right the branding is terrible the second thing is do you think that people feel secure that this interaction is going to be anonymous or is going to be kept out of their employee records? Because I can tell you, you know, for a lot of people, they're not going to feel safe if they feel like their boss or somebody else within the company might know that they're accessing these resources. Well, that's a fair question. I mean, we're in a constant surveillance state, so your employer can know if you're depressed just by looking at your keystrokes. <laughs> so I don't think most people appreciate that. They know, they know exactly what you're thinking, feeling, what you're looking at through a lot of different channels. So the surveillance state is real, but the EAP is so disconnected and maybe we can talk about the process of even getting referred to someone. It's so disconnected that the right hand's not talking to the left and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. So what do you mean by that? Describe what the process is like. What was your process like? Well, you know, I've called them a couple of times in my career. You can call them if you work in human resources and you have a difficult employee and you don't know how to deal with them. And that's how I first 
came to know the EAP, they generally have a 1-800 number. And back in the day when I was a human resources manager, I remember calling and saying, I think I have an employee who's suicidal. Can you help me? And it triggered a process where they did help me. But in this particular case, I called the 1-800 number and I said, I need some help. I want to talk to someone. I'm feeling grief over a pet. And it's weird. I've never felt this way. And they had me, I kid you not, go online, create a profile, fill out the profile, say that I'm feeling pet grief, and then call them back. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? Oh my God, this is insane. So I did all of that. I called them back and they said, okay, we see your profile. Now we're going to send you a secure email with a code to get on a telehealth platform for you to then make an appointment with a therapist and you get free, three free sessions. And by the way, in that email, the secure email is a coupon code and you have to copy that coupon code. That's the only way you're going to be able to avoid an $80 charge. So again, now I understand why utilization rates are low because this EAP is super complicated and I'm a woman well-versed on the internet. So the idea that someone would think that your employer knows exactly what you're saying is insane because by the time I finally talked to the provider, I was in four different databases and eventually ended up talking to a provider who took notes that I could get a copy of and I could could see on like a fourth platform than I started from. So the whole thing is just, it's to your point about rebranding, there's also a, a way to reconfigure this whole process. And I know there are vendors out there that are trying to do it, but if you ask anybody who's having an elite experience in the EAP, that elite experience is still similar to the one I had. I'm just curious if they did screen for suicidal thoughts or suicidal ideation, I think is more of an appropriate term. And if so, to your knowledge, would you have been accelerated? Or if somebody is expressing suicidal ideation, would they be accelerated to talk to somebody right away? They ask you 1,500 times. <laughs> it was like amazing. The moment you're on the platform, anytime you talk to somebody before you go live with a provider. So I would expect that on the back end, there is an accelerated pathway. Also, they asked about substance abuse and I don't drink. Well, that's a lie. I drink a little bit, but I try not to drink, you know? So I'm not really experiencing that right now. So I didn't have that accelerated pathway, but I would imagine that if you're going through an experience in COVID where you're lonely, you're isolated, you're having suicidal ideations, or you're having substance abuse, maybe you get more of a concierge experience. But if you're Lori Rudiman and you miss Emma and you're hating people, you got to jump through hoops, which is fine. You know, I'm grateful for it, but it was still kind of crazy. How did your experience go? Did you use all three sessions and what was the outcome? Yeah, I did. So I could probably use regular therapy just to deal with ongoing issues around cynicism and my general POV in the world. But I did use those three sessions and I was reminded of a couple of things. Number one, I always say we fix work by fixing ourselves first. And here I am going through the world and I had lost touch with that continuous improvement that I want with other people. I had also developed a hyper focus on work because it's COVID also in response to Emma, probably, you know, and in response to just this being 
being a crazy season of my life where I'm trying to sell books, right? I was really invested in that. And I was reminded that my work is not my worth. And so, yeah, those three sessions were great. And the other thing is I was reminded that the stuff I teach to people I can use as well. I often ask people in coaching sessions to just be comfortable with saying, I'm upset right now. I'm sad. I'm angry. And I had not been doing that on my own. I had not been labeling my feelings. <laughs> and so I've been crying. I've been pretty pissed off. I've been slamming dishes and things like that when I'm irritated. But I couldn't say I was sad about Emma, which is, I don't know, kind of sad for me because I'm a teacher. So I got to be a student, Don, is what I'm telling you. Well, it's so interesting we're having this conversation today because on Friday, I was in Annapolis, Maryland, interviewing a major in the United States Marine Corps. And the conversation we had was around leading through loss. Under her command, one of her Marines committed suicide. And we talked about a lot of the things that you and I are talking about today. And I asked, how do you lead through this loss? And then how do you avoid it in the future? And she talked about what you are doing right now, and that is being vulnerable, telling other people that it's okay. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to admit that you're having challenges because when you do that, then others realize it's safe for them to do it as well. And when they do that, then they're more willing to access their EAP or a counselor or somebody they trust, a mentor, whatever. So I think what you're doing is really, really important. Well, thank you. You know, it's weird that we are talking about this because just over the past three months, I can't tell you how many times I've lectured people about using their EAP and telling HR professionals, if you don't use it, how can you expect other people to use it while not using it myself? Like being a hypocrite. And that's the strange thing about this time during COVID. There's a lot of, I don't know, performative acts of self-care and not enough true, authentic vulnerability. And I thought, who am I to spend one more day lecturing people about taking care of themselves when I'm so angry and I'm so sad and when I'm grieving Emma and what I'm really grieving is just the loss of normalcy manifested in this cute punchy kitten, you know? Who am I to tell another HR professional that their employee experience is a leading indicator of other people's employee experiences if my own experience in the world is terrible? I got to act on this. I've got to be a leader. So I just couldn't take it another day. And I'm so glad that there are other leaders out there being vulnerable as well. That gives me some comfort. Are you over this funk or almost over it? Where do you stand right now? I've been able to reframe something which was really important to come to this position, which is although COVID was terrible and I lost my cat, I got to spend every day of her life with her over the past year and a half. And I would not have done that without COVID. I would have been on the road and going to stupid conferences and dealing with clients that I don't like. And instead, I was home every single day for the last year and a half of Emma's life. I got to see her. I got to hold her. I can still feel the weight of her in my arms because I got to hold her so much. Like that feeling has not yet left me. And I'm so grateful for COVID in that way. And that's a discovery that I had through the EAP. And you know, I have another old ass cat, right? Her name is Molly and I've had her since she was, you know, eight weeks old herself. In fact, I got her at the very beginning of my time at Pfizer in 2004. And she's on a limited path. She's not going to be around forever. And now I'm spending every day of Molly's life with her right now because of 
COVID and that's in a weird way beautiful. So yeah, being able to reframe that was such a gift I'm so grateful for and that's what the EAP did for me. This is your 200th episode of your podcast. You released a book. What's next for you? Don, I need to go on vacation, like a real vacation. <laughs> I need to go somewhere nice. Ken and I were just talking about it because if the world is truly opening up and we can do this and things are a little bit safer, we should aim big. And this year is my 20th wedding anniversary. There's like a lot of really good stuff happening. And I think a vacation is in the cards for the Rudiman family. How about you? I mean, it's not like you're a slouch. Your podcast is on fire. You've got another season coming up. What's next for you? Well, monetizing the podcast is one of the things. And I'm taking on more clients, which is a lot of fun. But that's on the work front. I have been very fortunate over these last two years to become really, really close to my two daughters. And we haven't had the opportunity to travel like we would normally. So we do have a few trips coming up. I'm going to London with them in April and then we'll go to Denmark in July. And then I'm taking my youngest daughter, who will be four at the time, to Germany, where I lived in Germany. Uh, she and I are going there in November. So I want to... And you did that with your oldest daughter once, correct? I did, yeah. She's six. And we did it when she was three and a half or so. So those are pretty special experiences. And that's it. I, I'm st- <laughs> that's I, well, I'm in, the, I'm in the process of starting a, a new nonprofit called Leadership Garden, which will roll out this summer. And it's helping young people become leaders by showing them experiences, educating them, and then providing them with service opportunities. Well, and one of the things that has really impressed me about your journey as an entrepreneur, as a leader, is that you haven't walked away. Like a lot of people would build a company, sell it, and then just disappear, right? They would just be selfish. And instead, you've really spent the past couple of years focused on giving back to your community, being an entrepreneur, but also helping others learn leadership skills, helping others learn how to be, frankly, better human beings. That's what this is all about. So what do you do what you do? Like, why don't you just retire? Because I have gifts to provide. And it's extraordinarily fulfilling to see people learn and grow and become the best human being they can become. I've seen it in myself. I'm a much different person than I was 20 or 30 years ago. And I want to share these lessons with other people because had I not had a handful of really, really good mentors, I may not be where I am today. I might not have had the success that I've had. I may not have the happiness that I have or the family that I have. And so I want others to have that opportunity as well. And there are just some people who simply don't have opportunities. And if I can, through my resources and through my network, provide them with opportunity and allow them to pursue it, that's great. That gives me incredible fulfillment. Well, I'm really grateful to spend a little bit of time with you on this very special episode. I feel like it was an after-school special. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you want the audience to know? Well, I really want people to know that there's no cavalry coming. There's no change that's going to happen through someone else in their own individual lives. That any change they want, they can have. They can achieve their goals, but it starts with their own ability to say, I need help or I want something different. And then to go out and get those resources, to get assistance but to get the ball rolling. You know, I wrote about this in Betting on You. I'm always so inspired by someone like Barack Obama, who's like, you know, there's no cavalry coming. You need to be the change you wish to see in the world, right? That's Gandhi. That's Nelson Mandela. You are the change you've been waiting for. And that's so true. And just this little act of going to the EAP, I think, you know, certainly makes me a better partner around the house, makes me a 
better business leader, but it just makes me a better human being, a better cat mom, a better friend, a better individual. And I lost touch with that, but I'm glad to be back on the right path. And I want other people to be on that path as well. So that's what I hope they hear in this conversation. I think it came through loud and clear. And I just want to share one thing before we go, because it might be helpful. I love you. I'm grateful you're my friend. And I simply wish more people would tell the people in their lives how much they mean to them and that they do love them. I try to tell you every time we talk, but I do do love you. And and I'm grateful that you shared this with us. Thank you. And I love you back. It's been one of the highlights of my life that we're friends. I'm really grateful for it. And uh, thanks again for coming on Punk Rock HR. You're welcome. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. We are proudly underwritten by the Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head on over to thestarconspiracy.com. Punk Rock HR is produced and edited by RepCap with special help from Michael Thibodeau and Devin McGrath. For more information, show notes, links, and resources, head on over to punkrockhr.com. Now that's all for today, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR. <laughs>